Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week seven, day five of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 20, 13 through 38. Welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you through your word today. We want to be fascinated by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 20, starting in verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I want to pause right there. I think what's happening here is is Paul says, you know, he's they're they're kind of you know dotting along the coast here as they're sailing on the way back to Jerusalem. He's got uh, a very short amount of time, as it turns out. He's got about a month-ish to get there for the day of, of Pentecost, because we've already seen they just celebrated Passover a while back, and and so now they're they're on their way back for the day of Pentecost. You got fifty days, so he's got. I think he's got somewhere around a month less than a month to get there. And so he's, he's like, I can't go into Ephesus. And I don't think it's that if they dock at Ephesus, the boat stays there too long. I think the problem is he knows if he goes into Ephesus and stays there, he's going to get stuck with the church. He spent over two years there. They love him. I mean, we're going to see just how much they love him in this place. And he, I think he knows that it wasn't that they were going to force him to stay. I think it's really that his heart, if he, if he went, he knew he wasn't going to leave. And so he's like, I can't even set foot in Ephesus, but send for the leaders. I want to talk to them. Verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I, know, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul has had prophetic words. He says every single place that he goes to. He's having prophetic words. He's having dreams. The Lord is speaking to him and telling him, you're going to spend a good chunk of the rest of your life or maybe the rest of your life in prison. We'll talk about, we'll talk about some of that later, but you're going, you, you got a lot of hardships. You got years of hardships coming your way, Paul. And so he, he 
he essentially promises them, I know that I will never be able to see you again. We're never going to meet face to face again. Verse 26, therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, uh, warning each of you night and day with tears. So, you know, a lot of Paul's epistles are dealing with this very thing that he's warning them here. A lot of the letters that he writes back and forth are that there are opportunistic people that come in and they distort the truth for their own personal gain. This is nothing new. This is something that has existed for thousands of years. Anytime, so, so here's one of the things that we deal with. And this is, this is a big deal to a lot of people today is there's this notion nowadays people don't like organized religion. They'll use that term. And, and people have thought this for a very long time, for ages. They don't like quote unquote organized religion. And, and here's the problem with that. We see in the Old Testament, the Lord is all about organization. The Lord is all about hierarchy. The Lord is all about these things. You know, one form that it takes is people use the term like patriarchy and things like that. And, and I mean, it's, it's difficult not to get some understanding of a patriarchy from scripture and some, some hierarchy. The Lord is all into that. We see there's angels and demons of, of varying authority. I mean, the Lord does this. And, and one of the things about organizations, any human organization is it, it's just chaos. If there isn't organization, if there isn't leadership, if there isn't some kind of hierarchy, it turns into chaos. I mean, you can't get three people together without, you know, to, to make a decision on things, right. To where you you don't have butting of heads and things like that. And you have to, you have to organize. This is just natural human tendency not even necessarily, that the the Lord has ordained it this way. I believe he has, but it's not even necessarily that. It's just human nature is that if we don't have organization, we end up with anarchy, we end up with chaos. And so it, people understand that. And and the only thing worse, I think, that people loathe, they, they hate more than organization and having to have someone over them say, no, you can't do this and you have to do this. Nobody likes that. Everyone wants to do what they want to do. But the only thing worse than that is to have anarchy, to have complete chaos. It's, it's like the, the only thing worse than bad leadership is no leadership. And so people have this idea that I hate organized religion. And, and, and honestly, that, that's a, a nonsensical idea because nobody dislikes organization when it comes to being a part of anything, you have to have organization. And if you get more than three, three people or more together, 
it, it needs to be in, especially if you're trying to accomplish something or go somewhere or do something or teach or whatever you're going to do, you've got to have some organization. And so by nature, as the church, as the people of God, we can't exist without organization. Does that mean that everything is hierarchical? Everything is, you know, you do what I say. No, 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 no. That's that's not what the church is about. The church is not about, you know, having people saying you jump when I tell you to jump. That's that's not it either. That's that's abusive and that's weird power struggles. <clears throat> but we, you have to have organization. And so whenever you get people together and you have organization money always gets involved, right? Because now you need a place to meet and you need this. And so those are all natural consequences of just a very human thing. And it's not a bad thing. It just, it's, it's, it is what it is. But when you get people and when you get money involved, there's always, and let me say this very clearly, because this is what Paul is saying. There's always going to be people who are going to come along more than willing to take advantage of that situation for their own gain. And there's a couple things, right? There's, there's, there's people that they really want the money. They just really want the money. And this is a really easy way to get it. I mean, they can lie, steal and cheat, or they can go into like ministry and do these kinds of things and be these shyster ministers. Um, or some people aren't as interested in the money. They're interested in the respect and the accolades. And actually, if you study on this, this is actually the, the more concerning of the two. There's actually a, a, a smaller number of people interested in taking advantage of these situations for the money. Because in reality, I mean, there's money in church. But if you're that type of person, there's probably better ways or easier ways to make more money than doing the church thing. Uh, even as much money as there is in in church stuff sometimes. What's more concerning are the people that want the respect and want the fear and they want the accolades and all that kind of stuff. That really motivates some people and they want to have these positions within the church and do things. And so Paul's saying because of this, because this is unavoidable, this is an, an unavoidable consequence of our human nature to organize and do these things, people will come and try to take advantage of that. And they will take advantage of you. And he's saying, don't let them do it. He's like, fight against this. Don't, don't listen to people that are teaching you nonsense for their own gain or for their own respect. He's like, don't do that. Don't, Permit it. Don't allow them to like work their way in your midst because they're coming. They're most definitely coming. Paul tells Timothy, you know, a, a, a church leader, don't let them be a recent convert or they will get tempted just the way the devil did. It's like, I want the accolades. I don't want them to go to God. I want all of this for me. We see it happen all the time. We see it happen all the time because we don't take these kinds of things seriously and we need to. We need to, we think, well, you know, you've got a charismatic leader, young leader, we should promote them. Like they're going to do great things for the gospel. And yes, they might, they probably will. But promoting those kinds of young leaders and things like that, it's so much more damaging to them and to everyone else later on. 
it may seem like a good idea to, at the time, but it's completely contrary to what Paul suggests is don't do this with young converts. Don't do this with young people. Don't allow this to happen. Let them have some, some seasoning in the word and in life first. Now he does tell Timothy, Timothy's young. I don't think Timothy, when Paul's talking to him in, in these ways, is like 20. I think what Paul's considering someone who's young, I think Timothy's like probably in his 30s, maybe even late 20s, but probably 30s when he's considering him young. He's like, don't let older people look down on you because you're youth. We're not talking about an 18-year-old or 25-year-old, I don't think. And so... So this is, this is one of those things where, where Paul is saying, be careful. And I think we would do well today to reorient the way that we do organize church using this warning, because it really is serious. Verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's saying, now again, this is not necessarily true everywhere he's gone, but he's saying to the Ephesians, I worked. I never, I never took anything from you. I worked the whole time I was with you. Remember he and Aquila and Priscilla, they did tents while they were there. So I, I never took anything from you. I worked so that, so that this, this wouldn't be the case, that you wouldn't think this of me. Paul makes the case in his epistles that ministers of the gospel have the right to do that. The Lord has set them about that, and so they have a right to that. But here, at least, Paul is saying, I did not do that. I wanted you to understand this. This is really important to him. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I think, again, this is why Paul didn't go into Ephesus. He loves these people. They love him. And I think he knew that there was, he was never getting to Jerusalem if he went there. You know, it's, it's the, the joke of uh, he was going to get stuck in a Midwest goodbye, right? Uh, they were never leaving. He was never getting out of there. And so he tells them, you're never going to see me again. And they weep and weep and weep over that. They love this man. And Paul loves them. I think that's powerful. This is... I think this is proper Christian hierarchy, if you will. This is proper Christian organization. Every organization, we have to have it. It's, it's necessary because we're people, we're human. But it doesn't have to look like every organization of the world, dysfunctional and, and, and political, and, and there's always gaming and things like that. Now, again, you can't... You can't eliminate that because there's going to be people that are going to want to use whatever organization you have for politics and things like that and trying to get ahead. We have to reject that. And within, within any organization where Christ is the head, there should be love. Remember, the, there's the admonition that they should know that we are Christians by our love. When they see our 
Christian organization, however that looks, when they see our church, our parachurch ministry, whatever we're doing, when they see how we are organized, and then they see how we treat one another, they're like, wow, these people are Christians because of the way they love, the way they love each other, the way they love other people. We don't see that, right? You go, you go into to organized politics and my goodness, no one's going to be like, wow, these politicians must be Christians because of their love. No, they're terrible. They slam each other. They treat their staff bad. I mean, it's just, it's rare when you find someone that does politics, especially the higher up you go with character. To find a, a politician with character is is rare. And that's been true for millennia. Right. So organizations, businesses, things like that, people are always trying to get whatever as much as they can for themselves. Greedy and selfish. And so when you see an organization of Christians, we shouldn't reject the Christian organization. We should engage in the Christian organization the way Jesus wants us to, with love with wholehearted love, with affection for one another. It was very common in the early days of the church for them to greet one another with a kiss. And this isn't some kind of weird kiss. I mean, this is the, you know, a lot of Europeans and people still do this as a result of this being so ingrained in, in early Christianity, actually. And this was not necessarily cultural outside of Christianity, not necessarily outside of Christianity in the early days. And so this is this is very the, the the affection, like the legitimate godly affection for one another is there. And so we can have quote unquote organized religion. We can organize as a church around Jesus, but not not have our organization look like everything else. It can be one that's marked by love one that's marked by respect and honor and joy. That's who we should be and it's who we could be. We can be that, but we have to choose that. And one of the things in that is we have to eliminate the people that want to use it for anything else. They can't be tolerated. And that would seem harsh at times. It really would, but dealing swiftly with those things. Paul talks about this over and over again in his epistles. Dealing swiftly with those things results in so much more peace and joy and affection for everyone else for so much longer, right? Dealing with with the bad stuff swiftly brings about so many better things in the long term. We would do well again to learn from that. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.